have you ever been traveling in a car and the driver turns to you and says, I'm going to try a shortcut. Now, you know exactly where that's going to end up. You're going to end up in a dead end. And for all you people who live down in Sunningdale and Parklands, um, can, can I just say, every time I've tried to shortcut through your roads, none of your streets go anywhere. <laughs> Seriously, have you ever tried to cut through those suburbs? Apart from the main roads, there is not one straight street in your suburbs. They all go around in circles, and whenever I go through there, I just end up at a dead end. And man, I hate that. Of course, you can strike dead ends anywhere. It's any time that you feel that there's no way forward and there's nothing you can do about it. When I was in my late teens, I kept striking a dead end with the ladies. <laughs> and long before, I, long before I met the beautiful Karen, I can remember in my late teens at our church, there was a young lady and I thought, hmm, I'd like to get to know her a bit. And she was my best friend's sister and she was also the senior pastor's daughter. And so around at Youth Fellowship, we're sitting around on lounges and I just strategically placed myself on the lounge immediately next to her and I just waited for a lull in the conversation and I'm sitting there and I can see I've caught her eyes so I just leant forward and I said you know Joyce I just want to say I think you're really special and she and her girlfriend looked at each other, burst out in laughter, and laughed off into the sunset. <laughs> and I thought, there's no way forward. It's a dead end. I'm boxed in there. There's no way forward, and there's nothing I can do about it. There are dead ends everywhere where you get trapped. Come on, this, this pandemic. Like, seriously, just when you thought it was going well, Omicron. Things were getting better, we're getting on top of things, and suddenly, overnight, the borders are closed, the flights are cancelled, your plans are in ruins. It's a dead end. You, you can't change that. Maybe you lost your job because of the pandemic. Maybe you had your own business, you'd poured your life into it, you'd sunk your investments into it, and after three lockdowns, your business just didn't survive, and everything you poured in has just gone, and you're never going to get it back. Like, that's a dead end, that's tough going. Maybe a friend or somebody who is dear to you actually got COVID-19 and you were with them and you saw them deteriorating and you're crying out to God to, to heal them, to change them and yet they passed away and you're still grieving that loss and you're feeling like there's a dead end and nothing's ever going to change in there. Perhaps you're studying for exams and the, the exams you're going to be writing, you know there's no way in the world you can pass them. Uh, that, that's a dead end. Perhaps you graduated from varsity and you're fully qualified, but you know you're never going to be offered the job that actually is what you trained for. And you think, I can't do it. It's absolutely a dead end. Maybe your family is falling to pieces and you're trying to rescue it, but every time you say something, it just gets worse. 
perhaps you would love your parents to be pleased with you. Even as an adult, you're still trying to impress them. You just like them to be proud of you, but somehow nothing you do is good enough and they're never going to smile on you and say how proud they are of you. And it just feels like a dead end. You might even be really successful. Like things are going well, what you're doing is prospering and you've got great achievements, but there's still an emptiness there. And all those achievements and all that success and the relationships you pursue and the money that you get, it doesn't fill that emptiness and the harder you work and the harder you try, you're still aware you can't change that emptiness. It's just a dead end. And right now, I don't know your situation, that there might be something happening in your life where you just feel like you're boxed in and there's no way forward. And it might even be that tonight you came along desperately looking to see, was there any hope that could propel you forward? I heard a story once about a bloke who used to take shortcuts. So when he got off his bus coming home from work, he would get off at his closest bus stop, but that was on one side of a city park, and to walk all the streets around, it was quite a bit of a walk, and sometimes if he was tired, he would just take a shortcut through the town cemetery in the middle. Well, one night, it's kind of late at night, and he's exhausted, he just wants to get home and to hit the sack, and he decides on this dark night to take that shortcut through the cemetery. But the one thing he doesn't realise is that the workmen have dug a fresh grave ready for a burial the first thing in the morning. And in the darkness of the night, he falls straight into that grave. Now, how would you feel if that's you? A darkened graveyard, middle of the night, stuck in a grave, and he's trying to get out, but it's an incredibly deep grave because the person being buried, they're allowing for future generations to be buried in the same grave. It's one of those really deep ones, and the side is slippery, and every time he tries to reach up, he can't reach the top, and he's just coming down with his fingernails in this grave. And he realizes he's stuck. He's in a dead end. He's not going anywhere. So he starts yelling out at the top of his voice, help, I'm stuck in this grave. Is there anybody out there who can help me? Well, there were many bodies out there. <laughs> but there was nobody came to his help. And so he just decides, I'm stuck here, there's no way forward. I'm exhausted, so I'm just going to curl up and take a nap. And in the morning, when the workmen come, they will find me and rescue me. And he curled up in one end of the grave, put his dark overcoat over the top, and promptly fell sound asleep. Can you believe it? A second man uses the very same shortcut that night. And that second man also doesn't know that there's a freshly dug grave. And the second man falls straight into the very same grave and doesn't see the first man fast asleep in one corner. And he's panicking and yelling and screaming and he's stuck. It's a dead end. There is no way out. And then 
he feels a hand on his shoulder. And he hears a voice saying, you'll never get out of here. I tell you what, when he felt that hand and he heard that voice, he was out like a rocket. He had energy from somewhere. He leapt to the top. He ran the four-minute mile. He got home because something new had entered his situation. He was stuck in a rut and was going nowhere. Something new had come in and absolutely changed everything. And he was able to achieve things that he thought would always be impossible. Come on, you can be in a dead end anywhere. You can be in a dead end with God. Have you ever said, there's a sin that I'm never going to do again? And then you discover, you've gone back to it. You can feel like you're failing. You, you want to live a life that pleases God. But sometimes you're just thinking, I just keep failing. And it can feel like there's no way forward. We're doing this sermon series here at church called Jesus Unfiltered. And tonight we're going to look in the scripture and discover Jesus who is Lord of the breakthrough. And if you're taking notes and you want a title, there's the title, Lord of the breakthrough. Because just like that man in the graveyard thought he was dead in a dead end, and there was no way out. Something new entered his situation and suddenly the impossible was achievable. And my prayer is tonight, as we open the Bible, you'll discover a Jesus who is Lord of the universe, who is Lord and conqueror of everything, who is Lord over the breakthrough and he wants to work miracles in your life and to give you the breakthrough that at the moment you can't even see. So, you ready for this? Okay, if you've got your own Bibles, we are in John chapter 11. And I want to take you through four quick scenes in a, an account about a man called Lazarus. So, here we go. Scene one is the request. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Verse 3, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. A perfectly reasonable request. Jesus had healed perfect strangers. This was Lazarus, who was one of his close friends, and surely Jesus would move heaven and earth to get there so that he could be healed. Jesus wasn't in the immediate area. Uh, they lived in Bethany, which is right, right next to Jerusalem, deep in Judea. And Jesus and his disciples had just withdrawn for a moment. They'd gone back on the other side of the Jordan into the wilderness, right near where John baptized him. And the Bible doesn't tell us this, but my guesswork is, just as John's baptism was his commissioning for three years of ministry... This is two weeks before his crucifixion and Jesus knows he is in this final chapter and he goes there with his disciples to commune with his father and to be at that place being commissioned for these final two weeks of his ministry. And so they simply send the message out, the man you love is sick. Scene two is the response. Now, just think about this. 
What response do you think Martha and Mary expected? Like if it was you sending a message to Jesus and he was one of your best friends and your brother is sick and you know he's in the area somewhere, what response would you be expecting? Seriously, he's only a day's walk away and I want to suggest when you ask Jesus for help, you want it now. Like if you're sick, you want your healing now. If you're hungry, you want food now. If you've got no income, you need cash now. And there's every expectation that Jesus could, should simply do the right thing by them. But just looking back there in verse 4, hang on, my Bible's just jumping pages here. Just looking back, what is Jesus' response he says, well, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory that God's Son might be glorified through it. What does he mean? This sickness will not end in death. Now, spoiler alert, Lazarus dies. <laughs> Sorry if you're just hanging out for that. Jesus saying it's not going to end in death. He's simply saying this is not the final dead end for Lazarus. This is an opportunity for a breakthrough from God to show his glory. And sure, I could go back and just heal him, but I believe that there is a breakthrough about to happen and I want to see my father glorified by the miracle he is about to do. This is not a dead end, it's an opportunity for a breakthrough to show God's glory. And can I suggest when you're facing a dead end yourself and you actually can't see God's answer, that could possibly be that God is getting ready to bring a breakthrough for you. He wants to provide a miracle even beyond what you could ever imagine for Jesus showing the glory of his Father is actually more important than the sickness. Now, can I be honest with you? When I ask Jesus to help me, I'm normally thinking of me and my difficulty, and I'm not thinking about God's glory that much. So a week or two ago, our little apartment that Karen and I live in was invaded by an army of little tiny lice or bugs or something who all decided that our mattress was a wonderful place to plant a new community. Because we woke up one, one morning and we're just covered in bites and they were itching and it was just awful and it took a few days to get the pest people in and even after that gone, we're still being eaten alive and I'm saying, God, look, seriously, you called off the plague of lice in Egypt. You did it in an instant. Please call off this plague of little bugs, your wonderful creatures whom you love very much. Just pull them out of here and fix it now. And can I be honest, I wasn't thinking much about God's glory. I was thinking about my need, and it's understandable when Lazarus is sick, that's exactly what they are thinking about. So, Jesus' response, verse 6. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Oh, come on, Jesus. Like, seriously, what is he doing here? And verse 7, after the two days, he says, And then he said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. Judea is the bottom area of Israel. 
right in the middle is Jerusalem and right next to it is Bethany where Lazarus is. But in Jerusalem are Jesus' enemies plotting to kill him. And so when he says to his disciples, let's go, verse 8, they sort of, you know, object to this idea. But Rabbi, they said, look, a, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you and yet you are going back. Jesus' answer is there in verse 9 and 10. Can I summarize it for you? He's simply saying, guys, I'm not stumbling around in the dark. I can see God's light in this, and I know what my Father has called to me. And yes, I know the danger that lies ahead, and I know that my enemies are ahead, and I am intentionally going towards Jerusalem because God has raised me up for this very purpose that I might die for his people. Guys, we are going. Jesus did not let fear determine what he did. He let the will of God determine what he did. And I don't know about you, but do you let what happens around you control you? When God is saying, I've given you my Holy Spirit and I want him to control you. Jesus is not governed by the opposition or by his fears. He simply has a passion to follow the will of God. As you stare into your own future, are you looking ahead in fear at the dead ends that might be there? Or are you looking ahead in hope at the breakthroughs that God is wanting to bring? That's Jesus' response. Let me jump down to verse 14. So then he told them plainly, plainly Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may, may believe. Come on, let's go. Jesus' action is not just to glorify his Father, it's to strengthen the faith of his disciples because he knows what lies ahead. He, he can see the things that they can't see and he knows they're going to need their faith strengthened. So the answer he gives them is not just so his Father gets glorified, but so that his disciples get strengthened. And I, you know, if I send up a quick SOS to God, you know, I need your help. My passion is a quick fix. Seriously, it is. Jesus' passion is to give an answer which will bring glory to God and strengthen my faith. And sometimes I just want him to stop the storm, and sometimes he does. But sometimes Jesus says, that storm's going to rage, but I guarantee to be with you, and together I'm going to walk you through it so that you see God's glory and that your faith is strengthened and it grows. We've seen scene one, the request. Scene two, the reply. Scene three, the reassurance. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And when Martha comes out, she's got an understandable complaint. It's in verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Understandable, but have you ever said something like that to Jesus? Jesus, if you fix this situation when I ask you, I wouldn't be in this mess. Lord, if you provided an answer beforehand, I wouldn't be facing this difficulty. 
God, if you'd acted just a little bit quicker, I wouldn't have made this dumb decision, which is meaning a disaster. And she is simply complaining to Jesus, but she follows it with a declaration of faith. Verse 22. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. 23. Lord, Martha said to... Sorry, 23. Then Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Now, clearly she's not expecting a miracle. Because she says in verse 24, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. This leads to one of the greatest statements that Jesus ever makes. John records all the I am statements of Jesus, but this one has got to be the absolute most powerful. This is the statement that brings the reassurance to Martha and Mary that they needed, and this is the statement that still brings comfort to people right now who have lost people whom they love. Come on, verse 25, here we go. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is saying death is not the final destination. The grave is actually not the dead end because you have got the power of God who has sown eternity into your hearts. Come on, Jesus can turn your your dead end into your discovery. Jesus can turn your dead end into your destination. Jesus can turn your dead end into your deliverance. Nothing is impossible with him, no matter what we're facing. Mary arrives and she complains that Jesus should have got there earlier. The crowd, the villagers show up and they complain that Jesus should have got there earlier. How does Jesus respond when everyone is complaining that he's not playing the game they wanted? Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus wept. How does Jesus feel when he looks down at our world and see the selfish mess that we're making of it? Surely he is weeping over our world. How does Jesus feel when he looks at Cape Town or Tableview or wherever you're watching this to see the the stuff-ups, to see the people that care nothing for him, to see people pursuing their own selfish agenda? How does he feel? Surely he is weeping over the sin of people all around us because he's not just the Lord of life. He's not just Lord of the breakthrough. He is also the Lord of compassion. And whatever you're facing right now, he has that compassion for you to put his arms around you and to invite you to run to him. 
throw your arms around him and confess to him. You say, Lord, I can't do this by myself. And he says, I know. That's why I'm here. We can do this together and you can depend on my strength. We've seen scene one, the request. Scene two, the response. Scene three, the reassurance. And now, quick drum roll, the climax of this story. Scene four, the resurrection. Here's where it happens, verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Now, Martha is standing there about to witness perhaps the greatest miracle that Jesus had ever done. He had healed hundreds. He had fed thousands. But only two people had ever been raised from the dead. You know who they were? Quick, who were they? Joris' daughter and yeah, the widow of Nain, whose son. Actually, the funeral procession. The only two in the whole of the Gospels. And they'd only both just died. No one had gone to a corpse that had been rotting in a tomb for four days. And she's on the threshold of observing the greatest miracle that Jesus had done up to that point. And how does she deal with that? <laughs> Verse, second half of 39. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour. He has been there for four days. Jesus is about to unleash the mightiest breakthrough ever and she's complaining about it. She's saying, oh, there's going to be a smell. Oh, that's going to be difficult. What will the neighbours think? What will the town health officials think? Like, what are we going to do? What will people be saying about us? I'm wondering if God is preparing a breakthrough for you, is it possible that you're still just complaining to him that it's a little inconvenient? And that in your complaining, you might miss the breakthrough that Jesus has ready for you. Then it happens, verse 40. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. 43. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Lazarus had not arrived at his dead end. God had a breakthrough for him. Jesus is Lord of the breakthrough. And Lazarus's dead end had become a freeway to his future. And whatever you're facing in life, the dead end that's right in front of you, Jesus can come through and turn that dead end into your discovery. He can turn that dead end into your deliverance. He can turn that dead end into your destiny. Because just two weeks later, Jesus is going to face his own death. 
And to everybody watching, it looked like it was Jesus' ultimate defeat. Jesus' ultimate dead end. Because they'd followed him as the Lord of life. He was the giver of eternal life. He was the gateway to heaven. He was the one that was going to give them a hope and a future. And hanging from a tree, they see his bloodied, his bruised corpse hanging limp. And the crowd was discouraged. His friends were disappointed. The disciples were defeated. And it looked like Jesus' ultimate dead end. But three days later, when Jesus burst out of that tomb, he smashed through every single dead end that could ever get in your way. He defeated the enemy of death. He conquered Satan's last stronghold and he proved that he was the Lord of life by rising from the dead. Is that good? Yes, Tim, that's very nice that Jesus rose. Is that good? Thank you. Death could not defeat him. The grave could not hold him. The world could not contain him. The devil could not kill him. Evil could not conquer him. No enemy could stand against him. And there is no dead end in the world that could stop him. And when you're in Christ, there is no dead end of yours that you can't stop because he is with you. Right now, whatever you're facing, Will you simply trust your future to the resurrection power of Jesus? Will you take his hand and walk with him every single day, knowing that he's got the strength that you don't have? Will you trust in his love and in his power? And will you believe with all your heart that whatever it is that you've got to face right now, Jesus can turn your dead end into your discovery. <laughs> Jesus can turn your dead end into your destination. Jesus can turn your dead end into your deliverance.